Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament epistle, Titus. You find Titus just after 2 Timothy and just before Philemon. What a joy it is to take this time to slowly work through God's Word as we long to faithfully exposit it, to understand it rightly and honor it faithfully. Last week we studied the very first verse of chapter 2 and the last verse, the unique kind of bookends of Paul's focus to Titus in chapter 2. Today, let me remind us of his words in the first before we move into some of the meat of the chapter. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to, to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here, Paul commends Titus to practice a kind of speech, a talking, that word teach there, a talking among the saints that endorses and encourages a kind of living and speaking that is proper or fitting with sound doctrine. In other words, those who belong to Christ should live out the truths of God in their daily living. What is sound doctrine? We are to speak and reorient and live out. So this is a regular encouragement, a rebuke, a reorientation that godly shepherds, in the context of the passage, are to give to the saints, the local church. So in the rest of the chapter, Paul's going to give some specific counsel as to what is proper with sound doctrine. He starts with older men, and so we're going to look to verse 2 and the reorientation and counsel for older men. And then today, for the sake of some united study and preaching, we're going to include and jump to verse 6 through 8 as he then turns his focus to younger men. The title of today's sermon is Men Who Accord with Sound Doctrine. All right. Next week, we'll look to his focus on the older and younger women. All right. Now, before we jump in, ladies, today is not, therefore, a day for you just to check out, to start focusing on what's the part that speaks to me and about me, and this is for the guys, and I'll just get ready for next week. No, no, no. You, you need to be here. You need to hear this. Why? Uh, this is an opportunity to see how God is at work in and through the man in your life, right? Even if you're not married, you, you, you have a father and maybe sons or brothers or brothers in Christ that are in your life, right? That you could be praying for and encouraging unto these things. That you too could be part of the speaking of what accords with sound doctrine in their lives, encouraging them. Maybe you who have younger men, right? The Lord has ordained that you are a part of raising them up in the truths of the Lord. And so what does that look like, right? Maybe you have only girls, but those girls maybe one day by God's providence will be looking for a young man. And so what is a young man that accords with sound doctrine, right? So there's so many layers here at church that we all have a part to play, right? And, and, and old or young, and depending on your different situations, that there are layers here of understanding 
All of us have important takeaways from all of God's word. And so let's all come to it this morning ready for the living God to move in and through us with his mighty truth. Look with me, Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Paul is specific to delineate a difference of counsel in this chapter between older men and younger men. So let's consider how they're unique. The Greek word Paul uses here for older men is presbutes. It's, it's a term that Paul uses to refer to himself in Philemon 9 when, when he was roughly in his 60s. The New Testament uses this word in reference to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, who we know was very old. Him and his wife were old and yet had not conceived a son. And in God's providence, that was the time for them to conceive John as the forerunner of Christ. A deeper dive into Holy Scripture reveals that those who are older is typically a reference to those who are in their late 50s or 60s and beyond. When speaking of older men, Scripture highlights often their increased amount of wisdom and experience in life, but also their decreased amount of energy, vision, and strength. As we get older, we experience a significant increase in our aches and pains, often a growing struggle with mental soundness and even cynicism. As we grow older, we like change less and less. And left alone, we can become pretty set in our ways, our ways of living, our ways of thinking. These are many of the ways that our flesh has its way with us when we're older. But it's important to see and embrace, church, the ways that Christ is at work in us as well. It needs to be our hope that the Spirit's work in us outweighs the flesh's work in us, especially we who belong to Christ. Ideally, as sanctification is given greater and greater amounts of time in one's life, we should therefore experience greater and greater levels of maturity, righteousness, and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, brothers, is to be a marker of an older man, a matured man in Christ, not grumpiness, stubbornness, rudeness, right? All these other things that our flesh stirs and wants to produce in us. A lack of patience. A maturing Christian should have greater and greater levels of love for God and for other people, for the ministry of his church. If we who belong to Christ remain faithful to run the long race and stay humble, to be discipled, 
and matured by the Spirit, then the local church should have a growing number of faithful Christians who can say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Praise God that we have a, a, a plethora of examples of men that God has called to use mightily even in their old age, both in Scripture and in our modern day. For example, a popular one, Moses was late in age, potentially even in his 80s, when God calls him to lead his people out of slavery to Egypt. And even though Moses had a real impairments, Right? He did not give in to his fleshly reasoning or excuses for why he could not faithfully serve the Lord. John MacArthur is a preaching pastor of Grace Community Church, just 90 miles south of here. For over 50 years now, he has labored faithfully to shepherd God's flock and preach God's word, and continues to do so in his 80s. That's almost twice my age. Thankful for examples like Pastor John. Bill Taylor is a retired rocket scientist, faithful member of our church for many decades. He came out of retirement in his older years, sold the dream property on the mountain to move back to the city to pick up the, the staff of shepherding and become a helpful assistant shepherd of our church in his older years. And even in the passing of his beloved wife, Billy, he remained faithful to serve the Lord and his church. Bill just celebrated his 94th birthday. While old age should be paired with spiritual maturity and faithfulness to Christ and his church, it's not always this way. Just because someone's older in age doesn't mean that they are spiritually mature. Even if they've spent a lifetime, decades in the church, doesn't mean they're spiritually mature or properly given to sacrificial service of the king and his people. Right? We see this in this very passage. Paul saw the need to highlight a kind of exhortation, encouragement, admonishment that older men needed, needed from Titus to live in accord with sound doctrine by giving these clear markers to Titus. And so I just commend you men who are older, all right? maybe on the brink of this season, maybe in this season. Can I just say it's not too late? Don't, don't believe that lie from the enemy. Don't, don't allow the flesh, fleshly reasoning. Don't allow a slowing body to take you out of the game. If anything, as you're maturing, allow yourself, like Bill, to get more in the game. And what might that look like for you? Right? I've been praying about this. I, I'm getting ready to have some conversations with some of you. 
to shake this very tree. As you consider, might that be me? Let's listen carefully today. That we would be men in accord with sound doctrine. Look at these one by one with me. Older men are to be sober-minded. An older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is to be sober-minded. This means he is tempered. He is free from excess. The sober-minded man is one who's not given to extravagance or overindulgence. Paul modeled this well in his life after his conversion as he grew in sanctification. Listen to his own testimony to the church in Philippi, Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul spoke, uh, Peter spoke regularly of sober-mindedness throughout his writings. 1 Peter 5.8 simply says, be sober-minded. I remember John Piper said it well. If you really want to obey the command to hope fully in God's grace, don't let your mind drink things that numb the mind and heart to the value of God's grace. to really think through what are we taking into the mind. I think Paul's words in Romans 12.3 drives this point home as it relates to humility in our exile reality. Romans 12.3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Older men that are living in accord with sound doctrine are to be sober and sound in their mind. Next, an older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is to be dignified. To be dignified is to be one who is honorable. It is the man who pursues things that are honorable, who's not given to low-class, vulgar things or speech. He does what he says, and he says what he means. He takes seriously the call in his life to honor the Lord in what he says and does. He doesn't tell the off-color joke. The flesh's desire to push it out for a laugh. The spirit in him takes it and throws it on the ground and shuts his teeth. He doesn't entertain low-class conversation or living. Listen to how Paul counsels Timothy in a similar manner in 1 Timothy 
2, 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all the people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, to come into the knowledge of the truth. There needs to be growing and active dignity. Next, an older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is to be self-controlled. That means they're not given to their emotions, their feelings, their preferences, or fleshly desires. In other words, they have a sound and sober judgment. They're not caught up in the drama of others as a less mature man would be. There is a calm in the midst of people's drama that an older, self-controlled man has. Self-control is temperance, the virtue of controlling one's desires and passions. Sober-minded, it's, it's one who's mentally and emotionally stable. Self-control is a spirit-empowered reigning in of the flesh. The spirit empowers a containment of the flesh. The flesh is controlled. It's a proper stewardship of our mind, our tongue, our actions. A spirit-powered managing of the flesh that keeps it in bounds, that keeps it controlled. Consider with me what a lack of control looks like. What does it look like when the flesh is not controlled, when it gets to run free, when it gets to chase sin, when it gets to serve itself? The basic mark of uncontrolled flesh is that it is unsubmissive to the good things of God. It does not want to submit to God's absolute authority or rely on God's absolute mercy, it wants to be in control. Our flesh, left uncontrolled, says, I'd rather do it myself. I want to do it my way, despite the consequences. Sounds like a moody toddler. One of the major works of the Holy Spirit when it, when it comes into our life is to make war with the flesh. To empower, to reign in our sinful, selfish desires and replace them with God-honoring desires and actions so that we're self-controlled. What does it look like when the flesh is not controlled? Paul said it well, Galatians 5, 19-21, the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. When we lack self-control, we give ourselves over to indulgence. So it's not that we eat, it's that we become gluttons. It's not that we enjoy a drink of alcohol, but that we become drunkards. It's not that we have conversations, no, we turn into gossips. It's not that we enjoy a cafe mocha, it's that we get to a place where we can't function without our caffeine high. It's not that we spend money, but we become absolutely absorbed with the consumption of new stuff, with undisciplined spending, and therefore accumulating debt. Godly wisdom says, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. Proverbs 25, 16. Eat only enough is self-control. It's when you enjoy a good thing in life, but don't turn it into an overindulgence or sin. Solomon says in Proverbs 25, 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Think of the wreckage of a city broken into and left without walls. No guards, no protections at the gate. A free-for-all to take, to ravage what they want. It's my understanding that this happened Locally at Kernville, just a few days ago, after the floods broke, broke over the, the river there, they had to evacuate much of that area. And so therefore, in its evacuation, sinful, youthful, self-indulgent people went in and had their way, lit on fire, the, the firewood at the lodge, and burned the entire building, maybe one of the nicest buildings in the area, to the ground. The self-controlled man is not given to his emotions, to his feelings, his preferences, his fleshly desires. James spoke well to this, James 1, 19 through 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Solomon has similar counsel, Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Spirit, there is anger, emotions, feelings. But a wise man quietly holds it back. Every one of us in this life, in this valley of the shadow of death, will be presented with 
maddening, frustrating, disappointing, unjust situations in our life. The mature man is one who does not justify why he, as a result, is given to quick temper, to being undone. Proves to hold back his fleshly response and instead is known for his radical evenness of temper. Philippians 4, 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your radical evenness of temper be on display. So that means in troubled and hard times, when we're self-controlled, when our faith is at work and we're trusting God and holding everything else loosely, we're able to say, in this hard thing, I'm let down, but this is not my bottom line. So I'm not crushed by it. Nothing can touch my bottom line because my foundation is Jesus who is unshakable and fully reliable. Amen? Amen. Same thing. When we experience great success, the other end of the spectrum, someone who is truly trusting fully in Christ is able to say, settle down, heart. This is nice. This is cool. But it's not my greatest joy. It's not the most important thing. Christ is the most important thing. Jesus is my greatest joy. The mature man of God will have experience and ongoing practice of keeping himself calm from avoiding being baited into heated arguments and fleshly over-responses and dramatic divisions. Now again, it's important we don't lose sight of this fact that the self-control we exude is not the result of a man's forced will. I'm just going to have better self-control. Not something you just work really hard on and you get better at it. No, it is a fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, it's the result of Christ at work in you. What I love to remind you often of is if you long to grow in self-control, your focus needs not to be on doing better at self-control. Your focus needs to be on a greater abiding in Christ. Clinging to the vine. And he will produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. The older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is to be self-controlled. Next, the older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is to be sound in faith. Sound in faith. Sound here means proper, fitting, healthy, whole. We looked at that last week. An older and more mature believer has seen a lot of life and therefore has likely had their faith seriously tested. Probably in a number of significant ways. And they've proven to remain faithful. To remain full of faith. 
They've trusted God despite what life threw at them. This is steadfastness, which I'm going to talk more about in just a moment as we look to younger men. So let's move on. An older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is to be sound in love. To have a love that is proper, fitting, healthy, and whole. What is love? God's word tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. True love is selfless. It's sacrificial. That means we're going to love others even when it's really hard, even when it's really costly and expensive to me. The definition of sacrifice is that it costs you something. You give up something. Right? So let's be careful to not withhold love because it costs something. No, no, no. The best kind of love is expensive to you. It's sacrificial. Sacrificial love means we love when it's not going to go our way. Never forget that we love because Christ first loved us. Not because of how the other party has performed. That is the evaluation of a fleshly man. We evaluate that situation in Christ. And so I ask you, older men, what are you giving up to love others well? Not that they owe you, but that it's your joy in Christ to be sacrificial, to love them. In Christ, you think differently and say, I get to sacrifice what I want in order to love another. I get to love like Christ loved me. This is the gospel at work in you, Christian. The older man who is in accord with sound doctrine is a man who is sound in love. The older man that is in accord with sound doctrine is the one who is sound in steadfastness. To be steadfast is to remain constant in faith in God. It's perseverance of faith. It's a proven ability to remain trusting in God 
despite the, the disparity of the situation, especially in great hardship or loss. This is especially important in your older years. Why? Because you are likely, likely experiencing greater and greater levels of loss. Right? I mean, it's all around. Loss in your health. Loss in your ability and strength. And loss in loved ones. This is a prime season, brothers, for steadfastness to go to work. James reminds his blood-bought brothers in Christ who they are in the Lord and how God has been at work in the faithful who have come before them. James 5, 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. Take into mind, remember the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard. This is a way of saying, be reminded of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen, be reminded, of the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. To those who have truly trusted Jesus as Lord, James says, you know these truths in Christ, don't let them out of your sight. One major tool to help our faith remain steadfast, remain at work, even in the midst of great trial, loss, or suffering, even in long seasons of patience, is to constantly be reoriented to the truths of God's word, truths of the gospel, your gospel identity, truths of who God is, what he has promised, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. This is why the preaching of the word is so important in your life. This is why your personal study of God's word is so important in your life. This is why you being humble enough, even as an older man, to invite faithful brothers in to walk with you, to know you, so they can help reorient you to Christ again and again is so important in your life. It's my belief that your elders, you're the spiritually mature men among you, and the older, mature men in faith among you model the humility of inviting others into their lives the best among you. In other words, we don't get so wise that we graduate from the humble invitation of others to know us and walk with us. If anything, 
we show you the best how that's done. Brothers of the Almighty God, we are to be sound in steadfastness. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. These are the marching orders from our King. We are to walk, we are to live every day, every moment of every day in faith, doing this growingly, steadily in steadfastness. This is faith at work. This is proper with sound doctrine. All right, let's turn to Paul's counsel for younger men. Look with me at verse 6 through 8. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The word Paul uses that we read here at the beginning of verse 6, urge, English word urge, is a Greek word that maybe you've heard of, parakaleo. Do you remember our time with this word last week? It is exhortation. It is to strongly encourage Para means to come alongside, kaleo, to call aloud. From last week's sermon, it means to lovingly come alongside someone and speak out words that build up. Exhort the younger men. Encourage strongly the younger men. Who are the younger men? Well, it's not just young men like late teens or the 20-somethings, Right? It is all the men who are younger as opposed to older. The men who are still working jobs and raising families and not yet retired. Titus 2.6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Here it is again. The younger men that are in accord with sound doctrine are self-controlled. We talked about this in similar fashion above, looking at the older man. The younger men as well are to be in accord with sound doctrine, having sound and sober judgment, not given to their emotions or feelings or preferences or fleshly desires. The flesh is controlled to not let their youthful pride elevate their fleshly ego. but to put it in its place by the Spirit. Peter commended the men who are younger to be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5 5. Again, fruit, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit's fruit in and through you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
This means self-control is a spirit-empowered reigning in of the flesh, a proper stewardship, therefore, of the mind and the tongue and, the, and our actions. A spirit-powered management of the flesh that keeps it in bounds and controlled. What does self-control look like? Self-control means that you act in a manner that is fitting for the given situation. It's proper. It means we defer when it's appropriate to defer. It means we speak when we need to speak. It means we control our tempers and don't blow up when it doesn't go our way. It means we ignore the minor mistakes of others instead of trying to prove that we're right and they're not. It means we put other people before ourselves. It often involves putting the good of the group, or the family, ahead of the good of the individual. <clears throat> I, I would argue that that's also fitting for the good of the church family. Brothers, when yourself, when your person, your mind, your emotions are in control, they are reined in, they're not unleashed. That means you're even-tempered, you're, you're practicing holy moderation. Paul says, exhort the younger men to be in accord with sound doctrine. By showing themselves in all respects to be an example to others. Do you see it with me there in verse 6? Show yourself in all respects to be a model. In other words, there is a model of one's lifestyle that shows the goodness of God. The actions and words of a young man who is in accord with sound doctrine are that which others can respect and even imitate. The word model in the Greek is the word typos, which means an example. <clears throat> it literally means a, a mark, an impression left by an instrument or a stamp. In relationship to this, we commonly say something that you'll resonate with. We say, that person made a lasting impression on me. Brothers in Christ, is this not our main objective in these days that God has given us under the sun? Is this not our main purpose, being an example? Is it not that we are to be making disciples? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 3, 17, brothers, join me in imitating, 
Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This was Paul's charge to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. Then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We must be a model for those that God has put in our wake. Or what are we doing? We must realize that God's charge in our lives in these days that he gives us under the sun is disciple-making. Young men who might be thinking, man, I don't really have, I don't really feel like I have a lot to model for others. I would then say, then how are you being discipled? Even maybe as single men, who are maybe overly focused on the wooing of the heart of a young lady, in some ways maybe you're not ready for that because you have not yet been discipled. You're you're not ready to be an example even to her. We are to be discipled, to then be an example and make disciples. Brothers, they're watching you. Young men, younger men, they're looking up to you. You're the ones God has charged to set the course, to pave the way, to be a model of what it means to live and to die for Christ daily. Even as we make decisions, even as we run into crossroads, it can't just be, how do I feel about this? How does this work for me? It needs to also do business with, how is this an example to those who are watching and following me? Is this a priority that I should be putting up before the young men who are in my wake? Young men who are not yet married, not yet dads. There's younger men who are looking up to you. Show yourselves to be an example. To be in all respects, to be a model, an example of good works. The word good here in the Greek is the word kolos. It means beautiful. Beautiful works. It's the same word that Jesus uses in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 15 and 16. Nor do people put a light under a basket. I'm sorry, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your beautiful works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is really helpful 
Because when they see our coloss works, our beautiful works, they're beautiful not because of you. They're beautiful because they point to the one who is good, who is perfect, who is beautiful. They point to Christ. Do you notice Jesus' words that they may see your good works? And they don't say, wow, praise to you. What do they say? They give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, these good works reorient others to Christ, to glorifying God. When people see your deeds, do they see the beauty of Christ, the testimony of Christ, the glory of Christ? Do they say amazing? Amazing. Not because of you, but because of Christ at work in you. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Glory to God. I mean, let's, let's not lose sight of his hymn. It's, right? We're his craftsmanship, right? They need to see him. This is his design. Church, God has chosen you, saved you, sent you forth to do good works that honor and point others to Jesus, that they would see Jesus at work in you and give glory to him. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Next, Paul turns to the model of our speaking and teaching. There's to be a model, he says, in verse late 7 and early 8. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. So this isn't just varied teaching. It is teaching that is sound doctrine. That is the truths of God. Younger men are to impart sound truths of God first with integrity. Integrity is purity. That means they're doing, they're speaking the truths of God, they're speaking sound doctrine without compromise, without polluting what is true. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Because God has saved us and given us new birth and life in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come, praise the Lord. In Christ there is a new fruit that we will produce. Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks, Luke 6.45. This means our words are not a small thing. Instead, they reveal our heart. If we have true faith in God, then that faith will reveal itself in our words. 
rather than acting like children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we who belong to Christ speak the truth. If false doctrine and worldly ideologies are lies, then what is truth? It's God's word. It is sound doctrine. It is Christ. And praise God for it. We live in a world full of spiritual immaturity, full of false doctrine, full of fleshly deceit. Oh, how desperate we are for the truth. Paul said in Ephesians 4.21, later in that very passage, the truth is Jesus. Jesus said it clearly in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says, I am the truth. He's saying all the other philosophies, all the other ideologies, whether postmodernism, existentialism, secular humanism, other man-made theologies, other man-made religions, Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, will fail to arrive at the ultimate truth. Why? Because the truth is only found in Jesus. And therefore, no man-made ideology or man-made religion is true. Anyone who has issue with that has issue with John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Brothers, we are to speak the truth with integrity, without compromise, without bending to people-pleasing. And in this, we honor the Lord and are a good example to those in our wake. The way younger men are to impart the sound truths of God is also with dignity. Dignity. This is a focus on that which is important and not that which is trivial or meaningless. There is much of this life that we can get caught up in talking about that is so trivial temporary and meaningless. But the example young men are to give in their teaching and sound living, living in sound doctrine, it needs to be serious. It needs to be dignified. And so brothers, you who kind of pride yourself in being the jokester in constantly poking and making fun, I would say in your maturing in Christ, there is a call to greater dignity. There is a greater value to that dignity that honors the Lord than the laugh you get by wielding the funny joke. First Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The way younger men are to impart the sound truths of God is not only with integrity and dignity, but with sound speech. Again, sound is what is healthy and whole and proper, in other words, it is speech that is edifying for its hearers. 
Paul says it well to, the, to those in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's edifying for the hearers. How much are we guilty of saying, of, of, of blabbing about that has no aim of edification for those who are listening to us? Maturity in us learns to, to let a lot of those ideas and words go to the can instead of find their way out the mouth. that our speech would be sound. Something that is corrupt is rotten, right? Paul said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So when you take something that is rotten and mingle it with something that's healthy, it spreads corruption still. Paul said to the church in Colossae, you must then put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Colossians 3.8. What a serious thing, brothers. Our, our words matter. Our words must be sound and holy and not careless and sinful. We're desperate to be abiding in Christ so that the power of Christ is at work in the core of who we are, as Jesus said, so out of the mouth, out of the abundance of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now back to our passage, Paul says that we must be a model of good works, of teaching, speaking that reveals integrity, dignity, and sound speech. And then he says what this does to our opponents, to our enemies, to those who stand against us because they stand against Christ those who want to slander us or see us discredited, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Church, living in integrity, dignity, and sound speech cannot be condemned because there's no error in it. There's no falsehood. There, there's no opinion. It is the truths of God. It's, it stands on His rock. It quiets the critics and reveals the error of the opponents because it's truth. As a result, those who try to attempt to knock it down are put to shame. There's nothing evil to say about it because there's no sinful error to critique. As Paul mentioned in chapter 1, 10 through 12, the opponents of God's truth were known by their testimony. What was their testimony? They were insubordinate, they were empty talkers, they were deceivers. They were upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They were known as liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. 
That's a terrible testimony. There's a lot to critique there. Paul is highlighting the opposite of that testimony in the believers, in the older and younger men who he's charging Titus to do this constant reorientation with so that they're walking in accord with sound doctrine in what honors the Lord in these varied ways. So the testimony is different. So there is nothing to come against. Praise God for his saving grace in us. Amen. Uh, for his work to sanctify us along the way. Why? Because that other testimony is much of my old story in my sin. But Christ in me is producing something different. And I just say it's such a joy to see it at work in so many of you, in different layers, in different seasons, to sanctify us along the way. Oh, don't get caught up, brother, and maybe complaining that you're not where you want to be or wishing that you would have got to this sooner. No, embrace the moment the Lord has you in now and go to work. It is such a joy to see how far so many of you have come in the Lord. We have so much to praise God for. Brothers, with that said, are there things that you are seeing today that you have neglected? Then let us be blessed by this passage and helped to not only confess and repent, but to abide in the Lord and in the good things he calls us to so that this fruit of the Spirit emerges in us. To be willing to let our norm, our habits, the things that we've grown to love, be shaken up a little bit. You belong to Christ, right? You get to work in Christ at doing what accords with sound doctrine. That's marvelous. May it be true of us who are in Christ. I'm honored to walk with you in this way, to seek the Lord together with you. I don't want any of us to ever be content with just doing church. May we be committed to these things that Christ has saved us to. May others see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Amen. May the testimony of our lives be in accord with sound doctrine and a great help to many. And most of all, a true honor to God.